0: Hello again, everybody. It's Ron Remkes here with CFA Institute, and today I am joined by Wesley Gray of Alpha Architect. Wesley, uh, thanks for joining us. Ron, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, any investment uh, uh, operation is uh, judged ultimately on people, process, and philosophy. So sure. let's start with uh, process and philosophy. You know, what's your approach to the markets?
1: So i probably start with philosophy, kind okay. of like our core firm uh, mission, and our mission is basically we empower investors through education in order to make sustainable investors. So what we're trying to do is we're going to do super crazy active strategies that require Horizon. And to be successful, you have to be educated and know what you're getting into. So that's what we focus on like as a philosophy, education and making smarter investors. Um, now, as far as process we're factor quant geeks. You can think of us almost like a little mini AQR. So it could pretty much be summarized in the following. Like we buy cheap stuff, we buy strong stuff, and we hold them for a long time. I.e. we do value, we do momentum, but we do it from investment approach. So the idea is this is a long horizon investment strategy. And then we're also trend followers. as kind of a third leg, but primarily just value momentum, guys.
0: So when it comes to sustainable clients, that's one of the most, I think, uh, poignant things uh, for me uh, in your presentation earlier, and you repeated it now. Uh, When you talk about sustainable clients, um, that is such a difficult thing to actually achieve. Um, How do you do that? Is it more about client selection, or is it more about client education, or some combination?
1: I think it's a combination. So so kind of the ethos of our firm is our products are going to be bought, not sold. Whereas the ethos of the industry is products are sold, not yeah. bought. Yeah. And the issue is you can't, if, if you're putting people in active strategies with tons of tracking error risk that in order to exploit, you literally need like a 10 year horizon. You're never going to be able to sell those products because by nature, it's going to be placed in the wrong hands. Whereas if you run an inbound strategy like we do, we almost mechanically put up barriers to entry. Where if you come through all of our, you know, gorillas and like alligator traps and you make it through to us, like you've read the books, you understand it, and then you're still coming to us. Clearly, you're probably a geek. You probably really want to understand the process. And you're already manicured and segmented yourself to be successful. And then we still are going to invest a ton of time in, you know, verifying that, hey, you've got the right mentality and you don't have weird constraints. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we can't go, like, on CNBC and say, hey, look how awesome we are, because we're going to attract the wrong money. We, we need people to a- actually kind of come to us. Yeah. And, uh, and education is really just a tool to help segment, because cause a lot of times you can bring a horse to water, but it may not drink it. Um, and, and we see that all the time as well. Or, okay. Yeah.
0: So. Your, your background is, is interesting. You, you said that you started your career as a value guy. And yeah. obviously, in your uh, present uh, form, you're uh, embracing momentum. And for many yeah. value guys, that's heresy. Um, and so yeah, I'm just sure. wondering if you could sort of describe and explain how you uh, justify uh, that approach.
1: Sure. So you know, I start as you mentioned, I started off as a value guy, stock picker, you know, I used to be a special situation Ben Graham cigar butt hunter that, you know, that probably means a lot to the CFA society. It sure <laughs> to ben does, yeah. Graham's kind of, you know, one of the main, main pillars around here. So started doing that and made a ton of sense to me intuitively. Right. And then having done that for a while, just, I started understanding my own behavioral issues and I was also doing a PhD here at Chicago where I started learning like these quantitative techniques and, Basically, how can I basically systematize what I'm thinking in my head as a value guy? And wow, if you just do that, I basically achieve the same in-state as if I wasted all this time, you know, doing channel checks, calling up CEOs and all the standard value things. So I just kind of came to this conclusion that, you know, less is actually more when it comes to these sort of things, right? And I started moving more towards systems... And kind of evidence-based investing and, and trying to understand why value worked from like a more scientific standpoint, if you could call finance scientific. And then naturally, once you start going down that path is, I don't want to be a religious based investor, I want to be an evidence based investor, you know, things beyond just value start to make sense. And, and that's where I kind of came to the momentum trade, where, again, if you... Read enough evidence, look at enough sample studies, look at enough robustness. It's pretty clear that momentum is just as good, if not arguably better um, than value and and But more importantly, it's the combination of the two is where you really get kind of the maximal benefit because you' you're kind of combining like value with something completely different, and from a portfolio standpoint, you know you just get tons of diversification benefits and other extracurriculars besides just you know, more return or what have you. Um, So that's kind of how I did it. It's just an evolution of when the, you know, when the evidence changes, you got to sometimes change your philosophy a little bit. Right. Um, Uh, Can I drill in on that a little
0: bit? Sure. Um, So if you you, uh, think about momentum and you identify some historical pattern or, um, you know, uh, uh, alpha opportunity, yeah. where do you Where do you gain the comfort that that will continue going forward how do you how do you go from it exists in the past, but I know that i 'm willing to bet my capital on it in the future, yep. and that that opportunity will continue
1: yeah so it goes to the uh, actually that basically the thesis of that talk like active investing that work is going to work out of sample has to be painful, and usually the pain comes in the form of risk or some sort of mispricing that's really hard to arbitrage. So if you look at the value trade through that lens, you say, well, okay, if I buy cheap stocks that everyone hates, like right now, a bunch of retailers Amazon's gonna destroy um, in expectation, that trade works because obviously there's some additional risk, but there's also arguably a mispricing because there tends to be an overreaction to the bad news in the short run. Great, we're gonna keep doing value, it's gonna work out a sample because it has higher risk, and there is mispricing, and it's really hard to arbitrage away that mispricing because, as we discussed, value can underperform for five, ten-year stretches. Great. Let's go over to momentum, look through the same exact lens. Why does momentum work? Well, momentum probably works for the same reasons. A lot of extra risk, like the volatility has a lot of like tail risk you know, issues with it where it can blow up all at once. So you certainly got some element of risk. But there's also arguably a huge element of mispricing. And and the arguments there are varied just like they are with with value. But essentially, value is, is arguably on the mispricing front an underreaction to bad news. Momentum is essentially an underreaction to good news. So this price signal is arguably telling you something but if there's enough people with disposition of facts, you know, they, they, they sell their winners, <laughs> they ride their losers. And, and let's say if the fundamentals of a stock that's moving up a lot, it should be up here, but it's only right here because the price is telling you this is fundamentally a good thing. But if you have too much supply coming on the market, it may prevent it from actually reaching immediately to fundamentals. And there's a bunch of theoretical studies that basically say that in a lot of data, like on earnings drifts and a lot of other things, that momentum is arguably just an underreaction to like good news. Uh, so it's the other side of the behavioral coin with with value. And but it's re- it's also that's really hard to arbitrage because just like value strategies, the momentum strategies are insanely volatile, bounce all over the place. So it's not like it's not like a you know, an information edge trade where you know I can buy it here and then after earnings I make my money because I got inside info. Okay. These are trades that will work in expectation, arguably over five, ten-year horizons. But in any period within that, you know, they're insanely painful. It's not like you can just leverage them up and make free money, right. um, which, which means they'll probably exist in the future because those constraints are still in place today, just like they were a hundred years ago. So when you
0: When you uh, talk about your approach and mm-hmm. um, you talk about it as factor investing, right? Sure. and uh, how do you how do you look at it? Is it more or less passive factor investing based on the factors that you guys identify and the way you define it, mm-hmm. or is is there any sort of active factor approach that you that um, you adopt?:
1: Yes, yeah, so, so there's i mean in a traditional finance sense where passive means the global market portfolio where everything's valuated in accordance with their weighting in the portfolio and active is anything that's not that, we're insanely active in a sense that our portfolios are massively different than that. However, there's another way people define it now where passive means a computer does it, whether it's the SP500 or it's like our stuff, like a 40-stock equal weight you know, crazy value strategy, those are all passive. And then active just means a stock picker, like a human's evolved. Yeah, yeah. So it's very confusing, but we are systematic, what would be termed systematic active investors. So we are active in the sense we're very, very different than the global market portfolio passive market cap weighted, but we are we systematically actively invest we don't have any human involvement like I don't look at the names and say oh you know Best Buy is looking terrible today let's kick it out of the model they we don't it's purely computerized basically so what sort of turnover do you end up with in this sort of strategy Uh, it depends on strategy like so for value is a is kind of a slower moving anomaly just by nature of it so you generally get a lot less turnover um, you know, maybe in a year you get like maybe hundred percent turnover, maybe a little bit higher sometimes. Um, whereas momentum is a strategy where it has a lot less scalability because in order to exploit it, you need turnover to get it. You always got to be, if you're doing momentum, you, you got to always be owning winners and cutting losers. And it's got to be pretty high frequency. So ideally you could do it like, you know, weekly, monthly, or what have you, but, you know, you get frictional cost trade-offs. Yeah, yeah. So, but it about, you have to, in our opinion, do it at least at, like, a quarterly level if you're going to exploit that one, which means turnover on momentum could be, if you're doing it right, quote-unquote, in our opinion, is, is going to probably be 200, 250% a year. So... It's just kind of a different beast than value. Honestly. So, with
0: with your approach, mm-hmm. uh, do you end up with a high batting average, say, you get six or seven out of ten uh, picks right, or do you end up getting maybe one out of three picks right, but that one has such a big impact that it overwhelms the two losses? So, yeah. is it high batting average or high slugging percentage?
1: Um, you know, it's it's rem- just based on the, on our approach to how we do it. Like, if you just look at raw. Like maybe 212 momentum or, or on value, just like raw book to market, you, you might get more kind of like a what do they call it? like a power law distribution, where you get a few big winners and then a whole bunch of losers. Yeah. But and in, in maybe because like in our value side, I'll talk about that first. You know, it's, it's we're mainly we're factor guys, but really characteristic investors. We want to buy characteristics that we think matter, so cheap, and then within cheap, quality. When you look at the distribution of outcomes on all those securities that make up those portfolios, it's, it's when things are winning, they're kind of winning as a portfolio. It's not like you're getting like a home run and then a bunch of like strikeouts. And and it's actually it's not as extreme as it is in value, but or, sorry, in momentum. But I think in momentum, you can get more home runs, especially because you're always owning systematically like these winners but it's it's also the case you don't have like a ton of losers like it's pretty it's pretty robust basically it's not driven like in vc where one investment pays for your hundred losers um and that's kind of what we want because we're going for systematic effects and we equal weight so we're taking you know small bets across the pool and for robustness issues you don't want all your results driven by one stock because now you're always trying to figure out well is that luck or is that because the system is generating something? So, you actually want to see something where it's kind of an average effect that works, not all the time. But you almost don't want to have processes that uh, you know, generate a home run and everything else is a loser because it may be a robustness issue, basically.
0: So, how do you think about uh, the, from a portfolio standpoint, how do you think about the, the risk reward uh, trade off of the portfolio?
1: So, for us, I mean, it depends what you're do you trying you to achieve. And you deal
0: with consultants who are trying to impose no. their views so, of risk?
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, so, so the, there's kind of like two approaches to the markets. And you think you would end up in the same conclusion, but you don't. There's the risk management side, i.e. tracking error focus, benchmark focus, and you're managing, you're quote-unquote building risk management, and you focus on that. And then how do I generate the most expected return given that risk management setup, right? The other approach to come at the problem is let's figure out how to maximize our ability to extract equity premiums for the long horizon. And then after we've determined that, you know, we'll, we'll work through risk management to try to minimize the level of risk that we can get to achieve that. You would think that these things that somehow would, would kind of like match each other. But when you do those two approaches, you get actually two totally different solutions. And and I think it's because the missions are different. Our mission is to try to extract long-term equity premiums in the best way we think we can, which means like maybe like standard deviation risk at the margin is less important. It's more about like you know drawdown risk and, and you know how the betas act, d- dependent on conditions. Like you know it's fine to have like a low vol, or it's really fine to have a ton of vol. But you don't want to have a situation where like in a down market you have like really high beta and in an up market you have really low beta. Right? because it's it's really risk management is really about understanding like what happens in your tails or your distribution. And frankly, like the day-to-day noise, it's we don't care that much about it, right? Because we're just trying to extract long term equity premiums and and compound the capital. Where whereas I do care a lot about that if I'm if my risk management means tracking error risk, like relative to some S&P benchmark, These, the, the vol type risk actually matters a lot more to me because because now deviations from the benchmark is what is painful to me. Um, so so our portfolios are, they don't have a lot of sector constraints. Like we'll way over low. Like we can go up to 25% in a sector. We don't care at all about like whether we have a bunch of retailers right now. At the margin we do, we're not gonna put 100% in, but if you wanna exploit in our opinion, like these value momentum premiums, yeah. like the most bang for your buck, it's going to tend to be correlated in the industries. Like most of the crappy value stocks, they're all going to be concentrated in the crappy value industries. And, and you, unfortunately, you've got to own that risk if you want to capture the best you know, premium out there. And, and there is going to be a little extra risk. And it's going to have tons of benchmark risk. Um, but we don't care about benchmark risk as much. Right. And so uh, I think that's why you talked about in your
0: presentation about the importance of having the right clients. And yeah. I think it was a really profound point um, that uh, if you didn't have the right client, even if you were committed to your your discipline and your approach, um, if you didn't have the right client, then you're going to end up committing those same uh, yeah. things that, that create the anomaly in the first place because your client's going to force you to liquidate, right? Yeah, yeah. You, but,
1: you, can, you end up contributing. So, so if, if we put the wrong client that was focused on tracking error and, and basically benchmark-focused, like mechanically we already know. We can already tell them the probability that they're going to utterly fail. And to the extent that when we utterly fail, They're going to liquidate the whole trade. Typically, that's going to be at times when obviously the thing's not working. And so we're we're going to end up being liquidating like a value, concentrated value momentum portfolio into the hands of whoever is that permanent capital that is sticking there. They're going to earn from our fault, basically. So you you just can't be matching that kind of money with what we're doing because it's just mechanically won't work. Um, you, you need to get the patient long-duration capital so they can actually exploit the premiums. And, and we want to hope that a lot of factor people sell this stuff to short-duration capital and continue to do that because, in the end, that, that's what keeps the ecosystem going, basically. Right. Uh,
0: well, that's a, that's a powerful point, and I hope uh, our, our audience uh, takes uh, heed of that. So, Wes, that's all we have time for today, but uh, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for joining us And please uh, watch all of our content on uh, cfainstitute.org and uh, follow us on Enterprising Investor blog. Thanks.
1: Copyright 2017, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.